Good morning, family. Thank you for joining me today on this third Sunday of Easter. In these days following Resurrection Sunday, we're looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, those times when he showed up and interacted with his disciples. Last Sunday, Jesus showed his wounds to Thomas. Today, Jesus shares a meal with all of his disciples. The story is found in Luke chapter 24. Now, Luke presents some details that support John's story last week of Thomas the disciple. He even talks about doubt. So it will sound vaguely similar to last week's text, but then it goes in a different direction. Well, let's read the story and you'll see what I mean. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness, he said to them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. Taking it, he ate it in front of them. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the big questions in our house these days is, what's for dinner? According to John, Jesus asked his disciples a similar question when he appeared and said to them, Do you have anything to eat? They did, as it turned out, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Sharing food with the disciples was one of the common and primary features of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. He had supper with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. When he blessed and broke the bread, the two disciples recognized him in that act, in that moment. In another occasion, after fishing all night, the disciples saw Jesus on the shore. They joined him there, and he fed them breakfast. You see, food and the resurrection are tied together in the Gospels. Scholars debate whether the church's emphasis on eating at the Lord's table led to the food stories about the resurrection, or if stories about food and the resurrection led the church to emphasize Holy Communion. We can let the scholars hash out the chicken or egg debate and simply recognize that the Lord's meal, the Eucharist or Holy Communion, is central to our experience of Jesus. Now, we know that the most universal way human beings have of establishing and maintaining relationships is through shared meals. So it should come as no surprise that Jesus after his resurrection, would share meals with his friends, right? So today, on this third Sunday of Easter, I want us to focus on the food-related, food-centered experience of Jesus' resurrection. 
The season of Easter was always used in the early church as the time to instruct newly baptized people in the sacraments. And this practice is still carried on frequently in the church today. For the record, we believe that Holy Communion or Eucharist or the Lord's Supper is an avenue through which God imparts his grace to us, in which Jesus is present by the Holy Spirit. Eating and drinking together, then, is the primary way of experiencing Jesus' resurrection and the most universal way people affirm and experience relationship, community. Our Easter proclamation is that these two actions, the Eucharistic experience of Jesus and building relationships through meals, are deeply related. We found this to be true during Lent, didn't we? And we've discovered it during our social distancing. We have fasted and experienced hunger, which underscores both our need for God and our relatedness to other people, especially to the hungry and neglected poor. We find it when we have celebrations of happy events in our lives and families. Our first thought is to get together and eat and drink. We find it in the sad and tragic moments of our lives, as well as when the grieving family and friends of one who has died must, it seems, have food and drink when they gather to mourn and to support each other. It seems that we must eat together to be human and to become human. We must also, it appears, eat together to know God. In the great story of salvation told in the scriptures, food plays a very important role. But food and drink can also be an occasion for sin, for a separation from God and from others. Do you remember what happened way back in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve messed everything up when they misused food, right? When Cain killed his brother Abel, the very first murder, it arose out of a dispute over which kind of food was a better offering to God. Israel's rebellion against God in the wilderness was over their need for food, and their doubt as to whether or not God could feed them in the wilderness. Speaking of the wilderness, when Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan's first temptation was to urge him to give in to his hunger and turn stones into bread. At the Last Supper, Judas was revealed as Jesus' betrayer when he dipped his bread in the dish with Jesus. But food and drink are also key to many of the wonderful parts of God's story as well. If we go back again to the first garden, we discover that there was a second tree, a tree that gave eternal life. After Adam and Eve sinned, God removed them from the garden, in part so that they would not eat of that second tree and as a result live forever in sin. Abraham welcomed three strangers who turned out to be God's angels in disguise. I would argue that the three strangers are the Trinity, but that's a discussion for another time. Abraham gave these strangers some food, and that's when he and his wife Sarah learned that they, in their old age, would have a child. Not only that, but their descendants would be a blessing to all humanity. God, despite Israel's rebellion in the wilderness, fed his people with bread from heaven called manna, and he quenched their thirst with water from the rock. Jesus fed more than 5,000 people with one boy's box lunch of bread and fish. When we get to the book of Revelation, we see that the culmination of God's plan for humanity and indeed for the entire creation is described at the end of the Bible as a wedding feast, a banquet, a party which will last forever and to which all humanity is invited.
when you and I share a conventional meal, when you and I share at the Lord's table, all the parts of this story come alive. Above all, we see God redeeming food, which we have used incorrectly, so that it can be the means of grace and the hope of glory. We find every meal, no matter how ordinary and casual, has the potential to be filled with grace and to build and deepen loving relationships. We find in each Eucharist an even greater and fuller expression of relationship, which is the identity given to us in baptism. Members of Christ's body, children of God, and inheritors of God's realm. An identity which is renewed and once again brought to light in each celebration. Now I'm sure you've heard the old expression, you are what you eat, right? And you know, it's really true. Our identities, all of them, are shaped by our eating, what we eat, and how we eat. Certain foods and drinks underscore our ethnic, national, and generational identities. Tacos, lasagna, Coke or Pepsi, hamburgers, sushi. Certain foods and drinks define the great holidays and important celebrations of our lives, like cake at weddings, turkey at Thanksgiving, and hot dogs on the 4th of July. Some of you eat sauerkraut or black-eyed peas on New Year's Day. And then there is the bread and wine of Holy Communion. As we learned last Sunday, we need to know Jesus in his resurrection. We need to know Jesus and his scars. We come to know him by faith, by the testimony of those who saw him resurrected and in the lives of those around us. When we gather at the table, we bring those elements together. In the shared meal we call the Lord's Supper, our human capacity to remember, to learn, and to relate to others in meals helps us to know the risen Jesus. When we eat with Jesus, we know him in his resurrection to be our Lord and our God. When we eat with Jesus, we recall that we are the members of his risen body in the world. That's why we gather at the Lord's table each and every Sunday. But his meal gives us one more aspect of God's saving plan as well. In his meal, we discover that we are called to do for all people what God has done for us. Like Abraham in feeding the three strangers who found himself entertaining the angels of God, we're called to feed and nurture the strangers in our midst. Because when we do, we meet God. As God fed hungry and rebellious Israelites in the wilderness, so we are called to meet the physical hungers and needs of other people, even though they are different from us, or offend us, or scare us. As Jesus fed the multitude with one child's lunch, so we are to personally give out of what we have for the feeding of others. As a society, we are to redirect our abundance to feed and educate and heal a hungry world. As the ultimate sign of God's peace and the ultimate sign of the completion of God's plan for the universe is a great banquet, so we are called to make our own lives, our homes, and our churches signs of that great feast which is yet to come. We must provide for all people the welcome into our communities which foreshadows the feasting to which the entire human race is called. We are, as members of the church, to be the body of Christ broken for the world, feeding all the hungers of the human race. Way back in the 4th century, St. Augustine, the bishop in northern Africa, put it this way in one of his Easter sermons. 
You are the body of Christ. In you and through you, the work of the incarnation must go forward. You are to be taken. You are to be blessed, broken, and distributed, that you may be the means of grace and the vehicles of the eternal charity. You are the body of Christ. You are to be taken, blessed, broken, and given away so that you become the means of grace and the vehicle of God's eternal charity. That's our calling as followers of Jesus. May it be so by the grace and the resurrection power of Almighty God. Amen? Let's pray. O oh God, your Son remained with his disciples after his resurrection, teaching them to love all people as neighbors. As his disciples in this age, we offer our prayers on behalf of the world in which we are privileged to live and our neighbors with whom we share it. Open our hearts to your power, moving around us and between us and within us, until your glory is revealed in our love of both friend and enemy, in communities transformed by justice and compassion, and in the healing of all that is broken. As the pandemic continues, we pray for those afflicted and affected by COVID-19. We need your healing and protection. We are tired and frustrated. We need your rest and your peace. Please give us the strength and wisdom we need to navigate these difficult days. And now using the words debts and debtors, let us pray with boldness the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me today. Now your job this week is to love at least three people and make sure at least one of them doesn't deserve it, because everyone needs love, and everyone needs to know that God loves them no matter what. Please don't let these trying days rob you of your joy. With Jesus, we always, always, always have hope. Now receive these words of benediction. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen.